This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy. And I'm the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. I want to invite you to go to our website whenever you get the opportunity, www.nvcoc.net. And you can uh, scroll way down, find the radio mic, click on that. You'll find not only this episode, but all our previous episodes. And if you stay on the website, you can learn more about the North Valley Congregation. You can see the videos we've been doing because like many of you out there, we are we're doing a, a lot of online services and Bible studies, so you can find those there as well. We're going to look at the very last in a series on speaking words that heal. Today, we're going to be talking about cyber talk, you know, online stuff. And I want to start with this funny little story about a man whose wife was addicted to her online activities. So he sent her an email and it said this, Dear Wife, I'm sending you this email to bring you up to date on the events of our family. I tried to talk to you while you were on your computer, but you just kept telling me that you would BRB, whatever that means. So I decided to send you this email. John Jr. cut his first tooth today. He's the one you bounce on your knee while typing and surfing the internet. Susie had her first date Saturday night. She had a good time and said to thank you for letting him use your car. She put the keys back on the key rack underneath the cobwebs where she found them. Tim is playing football. He looks forward to going to school now that he has a sport to play. He wants to know if you would come to one of his games if we, brought, if we bought you a laptop to bring along. Let's see, what else is new since the last time I wrote you three months ago? The refrigerator had to be replaced. The dog died from old age. The church has a new minister, and oh yes, I have a new job. Well, I think that's about it. I'll email you again in about three months. You can take care of your, uh, you take care of yourself, honey. We all miss you very much, and we'll see you the next time the power goes off. Love, your husband. Now that illustration, <clears throat> although it's about the wife um, who's absorbed with her online activities, that can easily have been a husband, young adults, teens, anyone with the iPad, cell phone, or whatever. And today, as we continue this series on speaking words that heal, I want to turn our attention to this cyber talk, communicating through email or texting or social media. And this is not the use of our physical tongue, I know, but it is the use of our words and the, and the communication of who we are and what we believe. And before we get into the specifics of cyber talk, let's spend some time assessing and addressing this internet and electronic age that we live in. We, we have many advantages to social media, everything from electronics, you know, it, but we, as always, with all these things, we need to ask, is it good for us? Or more importantly, maybe we need to ask ourselves, 
How can we obey the great commandment to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength while using Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you know, searching with Google or Bing? And some of the things I want to encourage us to think through in this, this lesson and afterward are, are these things. Am I seeking to glorify God through my use of the Internet and the social media? Is my use of Internet and social media leading me to sin? Has the use of the internet and social media become my master? And, and all these other questions. And as you, I, I think you would all agree, those are important questions and with very significant consequences and outcomes. <clears throat> you know, six ways. There, I read this in an article. There's six ways your phone is changing you. Six ways. Steve Jobs introduced uh, the iPhone in, in the Macworld Expo in 2007. I know one guy, uh, he uh, wrote about this, he got his a year later, so the guy who wrote the article, Six Ways Your Phone is Changing You, he said he got his first phone a year after it came out. He said he couldn't remember his life without it. And for seven years, an iPhone had always been within his reach, there to wake him up in the morning, to play his music library, to keep his calendar, to capture his life in pictures and videos. Uh, there for him to enjoy sling and shooting wingless birds into enemy swine. Uh, there, the, that ever-present portal to Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. It was such a part of his daily life, he rarely thought about self-reflectiveness. But that's precisely what I want us to do today. I want us to think about it. David Wells, who is a careful thinker and has watched trends in the church, quote, church, for many decades, says, quote, what is it doing to our minds when we are living with this constant distraction? We are, in fact, now living with a parallel universe, a virtual universe that can take all of the time we have. So what happens to us when we are in constant motion? When we are uh, addicted to constant visual stimulation, what happens to us? That is the big question. And he's quick to remind us that there are only twenty that we are only twenty five years into our experiment called the Internet Age or the Information Age. As you all know, our digital communication technology is still relatively new, and someday we will stand back and look with more precision at what our smartphones and our computers and game players, all these things are doing to us. Uh, but we don't have the leisure to postpone self-reflection for our future. We need to ask ourselves questions now, and that's what I want us to do in, in this lesson, in this, in this program today. So the first way the Internet age is changing us is that we are becoming what we behold. At first, that statement sounds abstract, but it's one of the most simple, profound, psychological realities we learn in Scripture. We become like what we behold. You know, to worship an idol is become like the idol. To worship Christ is become like Christ. Think about the 115th Psalm. Their idols are silver and gold. They work the, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. Romans 12.2 
And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And then one of my favorites, 2 Corinthians 3, 18, but we all with unveiled faith, uh, face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. We see, I think, from those verses that we love to, but what we love to behold is what we worship. What we spend our time beholding shapes our hearts and molds us into the people we are. This spiritual truth is frightening and it's useful. But it raises the question, what happens to our soul when we spend so much time beholding the glowing screens of our phones? Or and how, how is it that it changes us? How are we conformed? And this truth has serious implications for what happens to our minds and our souls when the things we are beholding are impure and lustful. Internet pornography, sensuality, temptations of all kinds bombard us from every direction. We need to put all kinds of safeguards in place to help protect us from this bombardment and the resulting temptations. Scripture gives us many warnings and commands about sexual purity. But 2 Corinthians 7.1 is especially good when it says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. With God's help, and the encouragement and accountability of trusted brothers and sisters, we can exercise restraint and self-discipline and avoid the damage that comes from cyber sins, whether they are lustful addictions or improper relationships. This is a very important subject, and I've addressed it numerous times in other lessons, and it's something that we must continually be aware of and be vigilant about. One fella uh, takes this danger of beholding in a different direction when he warns, quote, one way we become like what we behold shows up relationally, end quote. Our digital interactions with one another, which are often necessarily brief and superficial, begin to pattern all our relationships. And he goes on to say that the way we interact online becomes the norm for how we interact offline. Facebook and Twitter communications are pretty short, right? Clip, very rapid. And that is not the way, that is not the way to have a good conversation with somebody. Moreover, a good conversation involves listening and timing. And that is pretty much taken away with internet communications because you are not there with the person. So someone could send you a message and you could ignore it. Or someone could send you a message and you could get to it two hours later. But if you are in real time, in a real place, with real people and real voices, it's a very different dynamic. You shouldn't treat another person the way you would interact with them on Twitter. But we do, if we're not careful. Another way the internet age is changing us is that we are ignoring our finiteness. Fundamentally, every single one of us are finite individuals, meaning that we are severely limited in what we know and what we can read and what we can engage with, and maybe more importantly, very limited in what we can what we really care about. You know, our computers and cell phones offer us everything. You know, news, new news, new outrages, new videos, new this, new everything. And one reason our smartphones are connected electronically is to uh, avoid, for us to avoid being left behind. We don't want to miss anything. 
We track hashtags, trends, mostly out of fear of being left out. And little by little, we ignore our finiteness. We lose our sense of our limitations. And we have limitations, folks. We do. And we began lusting after the forbidden fruit of limitless knowledge, a subconscious desire to become infinite like God. A a smartphone absorbs our interest because it's so alluring. It can do so many things, and in a sense, it is asking us to do so many things with it. But we are limited. We are limited humans. We can only think through so many things at one time. We can only feel properly a limited number of things. And these technologies want to stretch us out over the entire globe with Twitter feeds, Facebook messages, photos shared on Instagram, all these things. And if we really own up to our finiteness and the fact that our a life well lived is a life lived carefully, look at Paul's instructions in Ephesians 5, or think about this. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Okay? The third way the Internet age is changing us, so we are multitasking. What should be unitasked? I like this article uh, called A Social Media Heart Check by Kim Cash. She wrote, Before social media, life seemed simpler, uncluttered. You knew what you alone were having for dinner, not what 20 other people were having. Hours in a day were more productive, focused, not scroll-click distractions, no blog hopping. You hunkered down and you worked or played with your kids or read a good book. Unfortunately, Many of us have embraced a multitasking myth. We attempt to multitask everything, trying to think in two different directions at the same time, trying to be in two places at the same time, trying to live in physical space and the virtual space. This modern temptation explains why Dr. Guthrus prohibits his students from using phones and laptops in his class. He says this, quote, I think we are very dis- a very distracted culture. We are trying to multitask things that should not be multitasked. They should be unitasked. And that is what I tell my students. You can't multitask philosophy. The study of philosophy cannot be distracted by tweets. And if not philosophy, how much more should we aim to unitask our study of God in our prayer life? In reality, Scripture calls us to a life of single-minded self-reflection that often gets thwarted by the hum of multitasking. If it's important, it's worth unitasking, which means there must be priorities that trump our iPhones or Androids, push notifications and whatnot. And this is true for our spiritual disciplines, our workplace, and certainly our relationships. You know, I wonder how many people who are doing the online services while you're sitting there in front of your TV listening to the worship service, playing on their phones. Are you... Are you, telling, are you saying that God is not worthy of 100% of your, your attention? How would you like to talk with your kids, have a serious talk with them while they were texting on their phone or checking their notifications? You'd hate that. The fourth way the Internet age is changing us, we are forgetting the joy of embodiment. The Apostle John closes one of his ancient uh, letters, ancient letters, one of his uh, uh, short letters, with a line of enduring relevance for those of us today. 2 John, verse 12. Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, 
But I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that your joy may be made full. What a great lesson for us today. He he didn't even want to write it out. He wanted to give it to them face to face. Communications technology, like email, that's ghost to ghost. It's more than it is a person to person. There is something of us in an email, but there's more to us when we're person to person. And those things don't get sent in an email. We lose that. Christianity differs from every other religion except Judaism in claiming that the universe is created good and God puts his blessings on it and God wants fellowship with us using a medium of matter. And we have the doctrine of incarnation. It is something like Jesus turning water into wine and the best one. And in John, that's in John chapter 2. That is embodied. That is people fellowship. That is enjoying the fruit of the vine. That is Jesus uh, blessing that. He wants us to be together. He wants us to meet together. He even set it up every week. Come together. Think about me. Have those relationships. Social media, email what we, is what we might call disembodied communication. And it can be a very useful extension of our embodied relationships, but it's never, never, never a replacement of them. We need to make sure that the conveniences of disembodied communication does not undermine the joy of embodied communication. We must truly value the personal face-to-face relationships in our lives over this in disembodied relationships that we maintain online, like emails and text and posts. Our face-to-face relationships with our spouses, our kids, our neighbors should not suffer because our attention is on the phone, laptop, tablet, whatever it might be. The fifth way the Internet age is changing us, is that we are losing interest in the gathered church. Boy, is that true today. Inevitably, this lost joy of embodiment manifests itself as empty chairs or pews on Sunday morning. When God's people come and worship, there is a presence of people sharing a kindred spirit that can't be experienced on Facebook or through a live stream. The church, the body of Christ, is to meet together. We are to to be with each other. We are to worship together and confess our sins and share communion and embrace people. So do we, do we truly do we truly value the embodied reality of the local church? And even if we show up on Sunday, are we focused? Are we unitasked on each other and what's happening among us? Or are we checking out? fiddling with our phones, looking for something more promising and more entertaining than what's going on in the service. Finally, the sixth way the Internet age is changing us is that we are growing careless with our words. Why are we quick to judge the motives of people? And why are we so bold to criticize them online? Why do we say things online we would never say in person? Why does digital communication draw our scorn so easily? Dr. Gruthis, in his book, again, points out, again, to disembodiment. He says, quote, At a profound level, when we interact with people online, we are quick to forget. These are souls. We are quick to forget. We are interacting with eternal beings. Disembodiment. Distracted minds trying to multitask 
makes our language especially flippant and potentially overcritical. And he goes on to say that we need to have integrity when we are online. We should do it prayerfully. We need to resist impulses. And I, I, I don't always successfully do this. I've deleted many Facebook posts and other things. And uh, But remember that we are do, we're doing this before God. He knows everything we're writing. He sees it. And we are interacting with eternal beings. We are going to live forever. You know, maybe not, not all of us are going to live in heaven forever. But, but we will live forever in one place or another, in heaven or hell. And we're having an effect on people's destinies, des- destinies, even through Twitter messages. I think, I think if we take that kind of approach, I think it would give us a sense of gravitas to, to say that we are less likely to become flippant. We need to be careful. Many times in Scripture we are told to be careful with our words. Proverbs says this over and over again. We were told to be careful how we speak. Let our words be few. Proverbs 10, 19 to 21. Proverbs 17, verse 27. And things like that. That that old admonition, think before you speak, must become, think before you send, think before you post. You know, I've been emphasizing the words of Proverbs 18, 21. If you don't know this passage, you should write it down. Keep it everywhere. It says this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. That's right. Your your words have death and life in them. That's what the Bible says. Look it up, Proverbs 18.21. In this Internet age, we have seen all too clearly the truth. Words can kill. How many stories have we heard about a teen who committed suicide after being bullied online? Cyberbullying has reached epidemic proportions in recent times. It is defined as deliberately using digital media to communicate false, embarrassing, or hostile information uh, about or to another person. Uh, Syracuse Post Standard newspaper published an article back in November 2016 called Cyberbullies Reach New York Teens. Uh, in the article, it said that one quarter of teenagers in the central New York region are cyberbullied, according to a recent report. Researchers surveyed a total of 1,255 teens and 1,048 parents from upstate New York. And the research offers this clear picture of the digital world where teens are increasingly spending their time. 87% of parents said their child has their own smartphone and are regularly exposed to cyberbullying. Between a quarter and a third of teens confessed to their own experiences with occasional or frequent cyberbullying, while many more reported witnessing others, including their friends, being bullied online. Here's the reason the teens give for why they're bullied. Physical appearance, social awkwardness, clothing, being unathletic, having a disability, sexual activity, that's right. So let me share another finding. A third of teens, one-third, said that their parents are basically clueless about what they do online. As parents, we need to be vigilant about what our children are experiencing in real life and in virtual life. Electronic communication, social media contains some real dangers. Safeguards must be put in place and close monitoring is necessary. And I want to challenge all of us 
to be especially careful about our cyber talk. Remember what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, in conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example to those who believe. I want to challenge all of us, young and old, set an example in speech and word. Not only what comes out of our mouth, but what we type up on our keyboard. Let's be determined not to email, text, tweet, post anything unwholesome, derogatory, complaining, hurtful, or unchristlike. So I do. I oh, I pray all the time that we can navigate the internet age in which we live in a way that can benefit, that we all can benefit from its usefulness while avoiding all of its dangers. Everything, everything created has pros and cons. It can be used for good or evil. I pray that we can put into practice the words that Paul wrote to the Corinthians when he said, whether you, then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This means that we will strive to be productive and not waste time in the virtual world rather than the real world. This means that we will strive to be pure in all our activities online and everywhere else. This means that we will strive to use our tongues for good and not evil, either in spoken words or words that are typed up and sent out to the Internet for all to see, and it will stay there forever. Careful what you say. As the conclusion of this series, I hope you think about it. I hope you study these things. Open your Bibles and read and really dwell your mind on this. Think about your children. They're what they're going through and what they're doing. They're doing stuff online. Whether you like it or not, it's going to happen. Guide them in the right direction. Show them the example how to be and how to deal with the difficulties and the issues that you will face, that they will face online. We're going to end this uh, just a little little early, about a minute earlier than normal. But uh, I want to close out by saying that you can find this episode again on our website, www.nvcoc.net. You can find the radio mic down below in that webpage. Click on it. Find this program and all the previous ones. You can send me uh, an email. Let me know what you think. You can find the form to send me an email on, on our website there as well. And let me know your thoughts. Give me some comments. Give me some suggestions of what you'd like to hear me talk about here on the radio program. As always, be safe out there. Uh, mask up. I know a lot of us don't want to do that, but that is requirement of law. We ought to obey for now. That's what we ought to do. Pray for our country always that we will get back right with the Lord. Thank you, and God bless. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.